Welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, and in particular, the whole um, plot arc around Ba Sing Se. We're talking about denial and the ability to shut out evil things that are happening outside your walls. We're talking about what is the appeal of that and what is the danger. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. And we are joined by my original co-host, the Ur co-host, who has been uh, popping in a little bit more these days, Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? I mean, it depends on how broadly you want to use the word we. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say pretty bad. Um, um, I mean, me personally in my house, like, all right, you know, but yeah. Yeah, for the for those who are hearing this, uh, we're probably going to publish this uh, a week and a day after uh, we're recording it because I've been kind of front-loading recordings a bit. Uh, so that means that um, we're recording it while we're still right in the midst of the um, all the protests over the murder of George Floyd and the um, cop violence and, and all the discussions about that. And so it's been my, my sincere hope, knock on um, particle board that my desk is made of, that by the time you're listening to this, that um, we've had a lot of positive steps and the, the, the protests and violence uh, has, has abated and um, things have gotten to a, a better place. Um, although obviously it will not be fixed over, overnight, but you know, it, it is the place where we're coming from today and probably something that we'll be talking about a good deal because um, as we talk about this topic, one thing that I, I, I think the current situation really highlights, um, you know, what are the dangers of not being aware of just how bad things are outside of your little gate, outside of your little community. Um, so yeah, I am, uh, uh, as you said, I'm, I'm kind of doing the same. You know, things could be better. Things uh, things for me are actually pretty good, which is kind of part of the thing that's interesting, I think. Kind uh, of part point. of what got me thinking about this whole topic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I live inside Ba Sing Se to some extent. I live right. in suburbia. I am uh, – I'm recording this in, a, uh, in my house in the Minneapolis suburbs. I am less than five miles from where George Floyd was killed. Um, quite a lot of the stores that have been um, – burned down in the neighborhoods that have been hit, um, especially where the police were really going crazy, um, was all neighborhoods that I, I used to shop in. I have a lot of friends who were, who were really affected. Um, but I've been totally untouched because, you know, God bless suburbia. So, and it's been something I've been really thinking about. And so I've been kind of, um, you know, I'm really glad we're, we're tackling this topic because I think it's very relevant for what's happening right now, but it's also one that's relevant for, you know, all of human history, the desire to kind of, you know, say, those things are happening out there, but they're not happening in here, and so we're going to protect ourselves from it. Um, and I know, hopefully, many of you are are big Avatar fans and are, are eager to listen to that. But I'm sure some of you have not had a chance to watch the show yet. Um, I, I it is still on Netflix. I will strongly recommend watching it. Uh, the seasons are not that long. I think um, the, you could binge the entire thing in what I think it's a total of like 21 hours, 22 hours of content. Yeah, yeah that's um, about right. Which you know would mean probably for most folks, you know, taking a Two weeks or so. Um, you know, I've done it in the last four days. Um, I was going to say that's less than a, that's show. less than a day if you just watch it straight with bathroom breaks. <laughs> yeah, you know, which we're not quite encouraging, but um, um, but so, not totally discouraging. Yeah, we're we're going to probably not. Um, we won't be spoiling too many uh like exact details, but we are going to spoil a pretty major plot point uh that that takes up a good part of the second season. So I would say. If you plan to watch it, maybe hit pause and then come back and listen to the show after you finish season two. 
Um, although we will spoil some stuff in season three as well, probably. So maybe just hit pause and uh, come back and listen after you yeah, finish the whole show. Just watch the whole series, come back in 22 hours, and then yeah, we'll <laughs> <laughs> Or in a week or two. Um, or I will say, though, um, if you don't uh, plan to watch it or you think you're going to watch it at a much later date, so you don't mind being spoiled, welcome along. Um, and we'll now kind of start out by just explaining a little bit what, what's the plot arc that we're talking about and, and, and why is it so relevant. Um, Paul, do you want to... Um, Give it, uh, kind of give us uh, uh, a spoiler-filled uh, summary of the Bossing Say plotline. Yeah, basically, you know, a hundred years ago, the Fire Nation attacked, and uh, <laughs> he you know, quoting from the opening intro exposition. <laughs> always, um, they, you know, they attacked the Earth Kingdom, and I mean, I think first they attacked the Air Nomads and pretty much genocided them, just about. Um, and then they went and attacked the Earth Kingdom. And, oh, the, the Water Tribe, too. They killed a lot of them. Um, and they conquered much of the Earth Kingdom. So there's Fire Nation all over the Earth Kingdom. It's like the, the, the Fire Nation is like this little island nation. And then the Earth Kingdom's this huge, expansive landmass. Um, and they've been making inroads right. there. And the main, you know, the, the, I guess the capital city, really, of, um, is that a word that you use with the monarchy? I don't know. Um, anyway, the king and a large number of the people live in this giant Earth King city called Ba Sing Se. And the Fire Nation have been attacking it for a long time. Um, they failed in that. Um, and that's a major plot point. Um, basically, General Iroh, who was originally first in line to take over as Fire Lord... Um, to su- succeed his father, uh, his son died in the battle in uh, in the siege of Basingse, which is a very lengthy struggle. It's got these enormous walls on the outside and earthbenders on the inside, who I would imagine can just keep like fixing the walls pretty quickly. Um, right. And then Iroh gave up, right? I mean, he he turned away from the battle. He turned away from the war, and the Fire Nation apparently for a while gave up on trying to conquer Basingse. Um, but meanwhile, inside the city, um, no one in the inner part of the city, not inner city, you know, uh, it's a bunch of rings. The inside ring is like the king. Then there's an out, you know, a next ring that's like the rich people. Then there's a larger ring that's the poor people. And then there's a ra- larger ring that like now is like a zoo. And then, yeah. <laughs> thanks to Aang. And then there's a, a final ring that's like the wa- the wall of the outside world. And apparently the Fire Nation never really breached the outer wall successfully. So the people inside have just been lied to and told there is no war in Ba Sing Se. Yeah. And, and he says that in a kind of like fake sounding voice because it's not just that they're lied to. It's that uh, some degree of, of, of brainwashing is literally occurring. Yeah, yeah um, they're Manchurian candidated. Yeah. We, we meet a number of characters who, who will just say that phrase over and over. There is no war in Ba Sing Se. In a way that sounds very kind of, you know, Stepford Wives or programmed. Yeah. And we see at various points the idea that um, it's never really explained, but there's some kind of uh, like literal Manchurian candidate that they're able to do. And that um, certain people can be sort of taken away for re-education and have their minds basically wiped um, and, and, and reprogrammed into these very happy, docile personalities. Um, <clears throat> we have all sorts of things about trying to control what people know down to, um, you know – uh, you know, our, our heroes are met with a guide who is uh, Jolie, I think is her name. Judy. Um, 
Judy. Thank I am you. Judy. And then she's replaced by someone else who's like, I am Judy. And they're like, wait, what happened to the other? Oh. Right. Because the original Judy didn't like properly hide information from them. So, yeah, yeah. She got invited to Lake Laogai. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to me because the, the whole show is about the idea that the Fire Nation are, you know, the, as you said, the first word, you know, some of the first words in the exposition of the first episode are, and then the Fire Nation attacked. And the, the culmination battles are all about defeating the Fire Lord and beating the Fire Nation. And yet, I think that if you asked an awful lot of Avatar fans, myself certainly included, and Paul, I get the sense from you as well, who is sort of like the, the scariest, you know, villain? Who's the one that kind of is the most like disturbing and creepy and, and <clears throat> uh, the, the fight against them is so important? I think many would say Bossing Say, and certainly I would say. Paul, what, what's your kind of take on like why this, this particular plot arc holds so much resonance for, for fans of the show and for the show itself? First of all, I would I would go with Azula, but um, yeah, but, okay, that's, that's but like as a particular granted, individual, the thing is like she's Fire Nation, right? But she also takes over the Dai Li, you know, yeah. like so. The, there's the Dai Li being the Secret Service, basically uh, uh, right. secret police of yes. Bossing Say. Yeah, so um, you know, they kind of they fit her character very well, right? Um, they suit her, and I th- I think what it is is it's like that's kind of the world we live in a lot of the time you could be forgiven if you forgot that america has been at war basically this entire century at some point you can't be forgiven if you you don't understand um the horrors that are perpetrated on parts of the you know the population of the united states you know um particularly black people you know you know at, at some point you can educate yourself, right? And you can listen to other people saying, you know, there, there's a war out there and you can't just sit at home, you know, in your suburbs or in your inner circles of, of bossing say and ignore it because, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it will come to you eventually also, yeah. you know, and that's not necessarily the reason you should do something about it early on. But um, even if you're just entirely selfishly motivated, like things spread, you know, violence yeah. spreads corruption spreads and uh you know the people inside the city are not safe from the war they are sheltered from it but that doesn't make them safe from it the fire nation will break down the wall they will get inside and the people inside are not in the long run they're they're not prepared for it because you know their government has lied to them their government has suppressed information and I don't know, maybe the Earth Kingdom could have won the war on its own if they were just like, oh yeah, there's a war going on outside, let's all gear <laughs> yeah. up, you know? And like, instead, I don't know, maybe they've been like grabbing all the Earthbenders from the inside yeah. and then leaving everybody, because like, they have an army, right? Yeah. I mean, they have people defending the wall, so, it, you know, but then they're basically just brainwashing everybody inside. I don't know, maybe because they want the economy to work or something. <laughs> Well, and for me, yeah, good point. There's a couple of real key points here. Uh, one, just in terms of talk, as you were saying about like comparing it to our current situation, part of what got me thinking of this is um, there was a recent article published. Uh, this, I think it was over the weekend that, that Trump gave this speech. It was right in the heart of when everything was really at, at the height of how bad things were with the, the, the Floyd murder and the protests. And he said there is no racial tension in the United States. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I um, and a number of other people had this idea. I'm not claiming original credit for it by any means. 
but a number of us basically all <laughs> independently came up with the idea of putting up a, a headline that said some equivalent of, you know, there is no racism in bossing USA. Um, yeah. cause it was just, it was that exact kind of thing. Um, but, but jumping in right away to, and I think it's a, a number of different ways we can approach it. I think though, I would somewhat disagree with you on, um, when you say at some point, like you have to know, I, to mm. me, I think what, what bossing say reminds me of is cause the thing about what they do in bossing say is that they do completely control it. And the yeah. walls are so thick. Like it, it's interesting. We, you were saying that eventually the war will come to you. Before we even get to Bossing Say, we have a couple episode arc about an attempt to, to attack Bossing Say and destroy the walls. So yeah. we've seen as the audience clear evidence that the Fire Nation is literally right outside their gates. Right. And I think it's, it's, that is brilliant writing because it means that when we get to Bossing Say and hear them say there's no war here, it's like, but, but it's so striking to us. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, that wall is very thick. And no one goes anywhere near the wall because there's like that huge kind of like zoo area, as you said, yeah. in between. Yeah, which wasn't a zoo at the right. <laughs> like when they when they got there, when the Avatar right. and Aang, when the Ang gang showed up. But it's clear like there's an inner wall, and most of the people are very far away. And to me, what it really speaks to is, and it's a thing that I think in this country, especially, we're really wrestling with is how do you reach people who have been so thoroughly indoctrinated by mm. one particular kind of news? That, that anything else seems crazy because when um, – one of the things I think is most interesting is when the Avatar shows up and says there's a war outside, don't you know that? Like nobody believes him. Right. And what that speaks to me is about you know how do – you know a person who has grown up in a very conservative community and, and you know everyone they know kind of believes the same kind of things and um, the only media they get is Fox News or, or right-wing radio or whatever it is, like – if that's all you know, I think it is possible to think that you're being a very moral person following the moral structures given the information that you've always been told. And I, I agree with you that I think that there is a need for intellectual curiosity, but also like when you're taught that intellectual curiosity is, is evil and wrong in mm. and of itself. Um, you know, it, it's the sort of thing where like I, I, I think that position is completely wrong, but in some ways Bossing Say makes me not – not sympathetic, but makes it harder for me to demonize someone who's just never been. Right? Yeah, yeah, because I think I think it, it makes me sort of understand just how pervasive that kind of like you know there is no racism in America, there is no poverty in America, everything yeah. is fine here. All those people who yell and scream about it, they're just troublemakers. Right. Um, you know, uh, and and I will say like I think that is much more on the right, but I think there's some extent of that sometimes on the left. Um, oh yeah. You know, MSNBC is becoming a leftist Fox News. A center, anyway. I would just briefly push back on that, that I think they have a centrist bias. But anyway, yeah. um, but the American left, if you can yeah. call it the left. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. yeah, they definitely have a bias towards a different point of view. And um, and I mean, your point is well taken, right? right. That um, I basically just don't feel like cutting a lot of people a lot of slack right now. But no, that's, that's um, pretty fair. Honestly, I, I think, you know, if you want to call it the left, you know, what passes for the left in the U.S., um, I think there is a lot of more willful ignorance, right? Yeah. And because there is theoretically, you know, a culture and ethic of intellectual curiosity of trying to understand yeah. what's really going on, trying to, you know, believing in science, things like this. Um, 
but then there isn't really a lot of follow through on everyone's part. And so if, if you have the exposure, right, it's like, it's not exactly like you're in bossing say, but yeah. you know, I mean, if you watch the local news coverage or even just a lot of things, it, it just doesn't, you know, context matters so much. And it, and it, it just, I think doesn't paint, um, a full picture of, of what's really going on or the kind of the spectrum of ideas that you could have about what's going on. And so somebody who, you know, somebody who's basically been told that certain kinds of knowledge are evil, right. Or even that knowledge is evil. Um, and that, you know, that these people are good, these people are bad and, you know, Oh, well we have these, you know, we have these ideals that everybody's created equal and the laws on the books say that. So like, why are people still whining when the laws say this in, in their text? Right. right. Um, if, yeah, if everyone you've ever been around is saying a certain thing, it's, it's hard to, um, look at it and be like, yeah, but that thing doesn't make any sense that, yeah. you know, that thing, um, you know, uh, but that's there's the war. Like, how are you saying there's no war here? Um, and, and especially, go ahead. Well, I just, I just like it within the context of bossing say where people are literally being brainwashed. Um, you know, it's like it's super reasonable. Like, I can't fault the citizens there, right? Yeah. Whereas I feel like here, it's like if you want, you can go find the information, but. Yeah. You know, if you're constantly told not to, then I understand, like, intellectually, right, why you wouldn't end up doing that. Right. Yeah, but you're right. It, 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 it is a difference there. And, and, like, there isn't, you know, the people in Bossing Say don't have the ability to Google the newspaper, you know. Right, um, right. It, in, in some ways, to me, it's much more emblematic of kind of, like, you know, the way this would happen in, in pre-internet days. Um, yeah. And, and in fairness. Or in, um, in areas. Oh, go ahead. I think you're about to say it. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, what I was gonna say is, in fairness, I mean, Avatar is what fifteen years old by now. Um, yeah, twenty years old. Like yeah, at the time it was written. I mean, the internet existed, Ten. but nothing like it did today. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think it is in that way still a very good, you know, call out of the culture of that time. Yeah, um, and I'll I'll add to that that there are you know internet deserts these days, right? Not everybody has equal access to the internet, and yeah. so. Um, some people don't have the same access to information just at their fingertips the same way. Right. Yeah, definitely true. Definitely true. Um, I think also another important part of the plot of what happens in the episode that I think is symbolic for us today, especially in terms of like, how do we learn from this in terms of our own ethics and, and values and the like, is that our heroes do try to fight and do try to, you know, get the people and, and the king on their side and to rise up and they lose. Um, yeah. And and the reason why they lose they lose is very complicated, and part of it has to do with um, Ang, our hero's kind of own personal journey, and that this is like the setback that has to really teach him lessons, so that he can eventually you know sort of overcome that. Um, and part of it's also because of just in in this particular instance, there's a whole there's a whole level of people who clearly don't even care about the Earth King, you know, uh, succeeding or not. They care about their own power. Uh, the Dai Li being willing to work with with uh, the Fire Nation people and things like that, but I also to me also there when I watch what happens, part of what I see is, you know, when I see people with the best of intentions thinking, you know, and I think I thought this way for a long time. If we just 
if we just tell people the truth, if we just go into, right. you know, spaces with, with people who are more right wing and just, you know, we just show them why they're wrong, that, that of course they'll believe us and they'll come around to our side. And people have been trying that for 15 years and it hasn't really worked. Um, yeah. And, and to me, I feel like that's one of the things I find most genius about this, this series of episodes is that's what it kind of shows is our heroes, Aang and Katara and, and Sokka have this, you know, kind of really beautiful, but also naive idea of, we'll just tell them the truth. And of course that will work. Um, and I'm not saying that, that that's wrong, but it's clear. Like, I think what the show says is like, you need to do a lot more than that because that, that brainwashing does go very deep. Yeah. It, it says it's not that simple basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of thing often takes generations, right? Um, mm-hmm. But and individual, I mean, the thing is, it's like individuals change, right? Like you'll yeah. find people who hold a certain point of view, gain some new information, hear what turns out to be to them a compelling argument, and change their mind. Right? This is a thing people do, um, but. I, I think actually, especially like the more that there's a large group of people thinking a given thing or disbelieving another thing, um, there's like some sort of like critical mass there almost. And like an individual needs to like yeah. reach, I don't know, like mental escape velocity in, to, in order to kind of like <laughs> escape the gravitational pull of that, you know, collective right. belief. Um, and well, so I think like, Every time one person changes their mind, it makes it easier for another person, but it's hard. Well, well, yes Sorry, and no. Well. And here the, the Bossing Say metaphor breaks down a little bit because in Bossing Say, you literally yeah. can't leave. Um, but I think what happens right. in our own world yeah, a lot of exactly. times is when your mind changes, it doesn't actually change the balance of how many people believe differently in that community because often you just leave the community. Um you know, and that, that that's true. That's questions. a really good point. The other thing that I think is um, really interesting about this as well, and, I, and again, I think it, it speaks to this, is all throughout the second season, we've been visiting communities that are in the Earth Kingdom, some of which are conquered by the Fire Nation, some of which have been just like barely keeping the Fire Nation at bay. And they're all fairly miserable communities. They're often very poor. They're often destitute. They're often... Um, you know, being, you know, kind of basically put into slave labor by the Fire Nation or just their, you know, places that are just sick of the war because they've been, you know, fought over so many times and, and, and lots of like the, the people have, have died in the war or, you know, that they're very, they're very poor communities because everything that's happened. And then Bossing Say is clearly the most comfortable part of the Earth Kingdom. The people there are, are happy and healthy and they're not in constant danger. Uh, as long as they don't, you know, commit thought crime, basically. Um, and and there's a definite degree of economic stratification and a very severe class class system and caste system. Um, but even there, like the poor of Bossing Say seems so much better off than the poor of a lot of other cities, um, a lot of other places that we see in the show. Um, did did you get that same impression? And and what what do you, what's your kind of take on on what that part of the story is telling us? Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, Bossing Say is sort of like a a refuge of the the Earth Kingdom. You know, the Earth Kingdom, and they like I can understand why they started doing what they're doing, right? Like they want to wall it off from the outside world. They 
want to maintain order within the inside, I guess. Um, you know, they, it seems like, I guess that outer wall between the outer wall and the second wall, there's probably, it's mostly farmland, right? That's where they get, they get right. most of their food, I guess. Um, so they can withstand a siege indefinitely because they, they grow all their food in there. So it's not like they need people from the outlying, you know, the farmers from the outlying areas to, um, it's not like they need to get out of the walls in the, in order to continue existing. It, it is very stratified, um, but yeah, it seems like the poor people in um, Bossing Say in the short term are definitely safer than even, you know, than the nobles, even than the rich people or whatever in, in the other areas. Um, although, you know, the area that Toph is from seems kind of without much external struggle, right? Right. Um, I'm, I'm not super confident in, in my grasp of like the geography of where all these different places are. They don't um, do that Indiana Jones thing where they like show a red line on a map or something of where they're yeah. going. <laughs> I would really like that. But um, there, there is actually a great you know, map that's been well, published. Well, once they do. It, yeah. that, that there's a great oh, map, I believe, that has been published that's been declared canon that shows all the different journeys, um, including um, – and it shows Aang's journey on season one. Zuko's yeah. journey in season one, uh, their journey in season two, their journey in season three, and then also all of the life-changing field trips with Zuko. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll post the show notes. It's a great map. I, yes, yes, I will enjoy that. Um, but so anyway, you know, there are areas that have been less affected, but then it seems like not that far from them. There's other areas where it's like, yeah, they, they've been heavily affected or they've been, you know, their areas have been destroyed even. Um, and so, you know... Aside from fear of like damage to one's cabbages, um, I think <laughs> within the walls of Bossing Say, like you know, people feel safe and their lives are, you know, they've essentially been protected from what's happening to the rest of the Earth Kingdom. You know, perhaps at the expense yeah. of the people living in the rest of the Earth Kingdom. Right, and I think that's my point. Is to me, what it really speaks to is. You know, if your government is telling you everything is okay and everything is fine, but you're suffering, like that's the kind of thing that breeds foment, foment, because yeah. it, it makes yeah. people feel like no one knows I'm suffering. You know, they're lying to us. They're we need to like go out in the streets and we need to like make our voices heard to let people know things aren't okay. And I think that's exactly what we're ha yeah. is happening in this country right now. But in Bossing Say, people are okay. Things are good. Yeah. And I think one of the real lessons of history is it's hard to question things when things feel comfortable. Um, and when someone right. else comes along and says, no, things aren't OK. They're a lot worse than you think. Let's let's shake the shake the bars here. People are like, well, but that doesn't sound comfortable. You know, that that doesn't sound safe. Right. Um, and yeah, it's it, like, well, um, how's that going to change my life? Yeah. And and kind of um, bouncing around to a completely different fandom. But I think it really fits here is. It, it to me really speaks to what the movie The Matrix is is actually trying to say with the whole red pl mm. red pill blue pill thing. Yeah. Um. And I'll I'll just say a moment to dunk on you know uh, a a movie that is written and directed by two trans women about that experience to some extent and like the fact that it's become a right wing metaphor is horrifying to me. But the actual Wait, meaning what? of that it scene of what? Oh jeez. Are you being sarcastic or? Yeah. Okay. No, I don't really <laughs> meme. Very much like yeah. I, I like the idea of that movie becoming somehow. A, I mean, it's just 
But that's how it works. That's like somehow oh, yeah. people can look at people can watch V for Vendetta, right? By the same uh-huh. People, sisters, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And and they can like think that they should therefore rise up against the tyranny of like you know political correct culture. Yeah. 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 But Sorry, it, I just it, needed a moment. Anyway, continue. No, no, it's true. And and, and just for those of us who uh, I'm, we every now and then get poked for not being uh, accurate in our our, our claimings of things. Uh, v for Vendetta is obviously written originally as a comic book, uh, not by the Wachowskis, yes. uh, uh, but it's turned novel, into graphic novel. Yeah. Graphic novel, yes, thank you. But but I believe they yeah. they were very instrumental in turning. I think they directed or one of them directed. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, yeah, they it, or they it, at least produced the movie. Yeah. Right, but the point that I'm making is like what they. What they're explaining in that movie is that, you know, living in the Matrix is quite comfortable. Living outside of the Matrix is horrible. Um, in the Matrix, you get to have good food. Outside of the Matrix, you have gruel. Um, in the Matrix, you feel relatively safe as long as you kind of, you know, don't ask too many questions and, and keep your nose clean. Outside of the Matrix, you're constantly being hunted and constantly in danger. And I, I feel like that's part of what the Bossing Star- Say story is also getting at is that there's – if you have – and I, mostly what we're talking about here is privilege. Like, if you're in a comfortable position, if your life isn't that hard, it's really easy to just be like, eh, why do we have to stir up trouble, you know? Um, and I, like I was saying at the beginning, I'm I'm really feeling that here because I feel like, uh, not that I, I'm going to stir up trouble, that's that's who I am, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm living in this area and I, I don't have any idea what my neighbors are actually thinking. I can't talk to them because of the pandemic. Um... But I can easily imagine someone here being like, you know what? My life is pretty comfortable. Why Why do we have to get, you know, all worked up about these things that, that aren't affecting me? Um, and I think that's – it's. I think it's one more of the ways in which the Bossing Stay story is really insightful because, you know, it's one more way I can understand why the citizens don't want to listen to people who are saying everything's wrong because from their perspective, everything's fine. Yeah, I mean – most people would rather keep taking the blue pill, you know, Um, or I guess a better way to put it is it's just easier to take the blue pill and changing things when things are like pretty okay for you is like, is hard. And it's, it's just, it just doesn't happen so much. Right. Um, And I think, I think it's, it's easy to take the blue pill and it's also really easy to not even realize you're taking the blue pill. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. I think, you know, I mean, you look at world history, like the number of people who have said, my life is really comfortable. My life is really good. Things are doing okay. I'm going to do some deep explorations and ask questions about the fundamental nature of our system. And if it's just or not is pretty damn small. Um, You have to either be really aware of the fact that things aren't okay because they're not okay for you and your community. Or you have to have had some profound experience of understanding the suffering of others, you know? Yeah. Um, and and inside the walls of Bossing Say, they're able to prevent that. And and further, you know, the small number of people who can come to that sort of on their own, right, without actually having to have the personal suffering, um, or maybe even not having to have a conversation with someone who is suffering, but to be able to just look and say, "Wow, that's that's profound suffering. I don't accept that. I want to change things." Um, you know, the number of people who are just going to like organically come to that conclusion is just not enough to change things, really. Yeah. It can be enough to maybe start to spark change 
and help other people come to that conclusion, right? But um, it's it's just not going to. Um, I don't want to say not going to move the needle, but it's it's not it's not going to result in systemic change, right? Yeah. What has to happen is large numbers of people, um, especially people with power, right? And lo- a large number of people has a lot of power collectively. A small number of people can have a large amount of power, you know, more individually or as a group. And so in order to really get huge changes, you need a large number of people. I mean, especially large, you know, change against uh, things that are instituted by a small number of people. You right. really need a very large number of people to come around to that viewpoint. And, um, you know, one thing that can do that, you know, one reason that I am hopeful um, that, you know, 10, 20 years from now, hopefully, we'll be in a better place with a lot of these things. Because um, I don't think it's going to be like next year, like, oh, everything's better, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe there will be some improvements. But um, there's there's such economic disparity right now you know there's so much income inequality so much wealth inequality as much as there has been in in the united states at least since the 1920s um you know you look at what happened after the 1920s well there was there was kind of a revolution in in the united states you know there was that's when you actually started getting social programs that were helping people um you know that's when when you got fdr and the new deal and you know, you look at the French Revolution, and there was huge income inequality, and you know the the nobles or whatever were basically like, oh, you know, let they they were living in Bossing Say, you know, yeah. and, until they weren't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think part of what it comes to me as well is um, that often this is one of the, I think the the best things protests can do is, you know, and I'm. Um, you get into I think a lot of times once people start talking about protests that aren't just sort of, you know, peaceful marches, it's very easy to start demonizing it and say, oh, but looting and, and, and violence and things like that. And I think that there's all sorts of I mean, again, you want to talk about like information that is being very shaped. Um, depending on where you sit, you can hear radically different versions of what is happening in terms of the looting and violence and where it's starting and who's starting it. And I'm. Yeah. I'm definitely much more on the, you know, that, that the police have been the, the often the ones who are doing the most violence. And I think a lot of the country is coming around to that. Um, Pat Robertson recently spoke out against <laughs> um, Donald Trump being so law and order. And I did not ever think Pat Robertson would be my ally in something. Um, yeah, that takes like a quintuple take. Yeah. But but I've also seen articles that are very much like, you know, every single person who's ever thrown a brick has been, you know, a white separatist who's trying to, you know. Right, um, right. Which and isn't, I think that's, isn't true. That's a just as uninformed, but also not really helpful because it it denies the fact that there is real anger and there is real sort of reason why people are lashing out. And and my point is, if we can kind of put aside the debate about like you know is looting this particular store okay and not that store okay and 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 um you know violence against this person or that person, I I I think that it's such a nuanced situation. I think we can be sort of generally like we don't want violence, but we understand where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, the the point though that I'm making with this is that one of the best ways to make change is to make the people inside bossing say uncomfortable. Exactly. Um, I forget who said it, but um, it, it's a, a, a phrase that I often heard when I was studying to be a pastor, uh, especially, you know, the idea of speaking out for justice was that uh, the role of a pastor or the role of a leader, a community leader or whoever it is, is to 
comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love that, especially that last phrase, to afflict the comfortable. Because part of what it's saying is if your comfort is based on someone else's suffering or your denial of someone else's suffering, then you need to be made aware of that. And that, that I think a lot of the, 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 the protest idea, especially with the no justice, no peace, is like, no, we're, we're not going to let you live in your nice, comfortable world while we're being shot by cops or while we are you know, not getting health care, not getting uh, economic rights or whatever it is. Um, and, and, and you can say, like, you know, but is that a kind of legitimate political strategy? You know, but, but then the question becomes, well, but, but how else do you reach someone when they are in that place of comfort that Fox, you know, Fox News sounds fine and they never have to ask the questions? Um, so, yeah, so it, it's, you know, and, and it's interesting to me that we never get that story, but it does make me wonder, like, would, would, I think you can't do that because they didn't want the story to end here. And I think you're right. Like if they did really like convince all of bossing, say that there's a war here, then the earth kingdom just goes, kicks the fire nation's butt. I think that's the end of the story. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I'll just, um, I'll push back on that a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily like if everyone in bossing say like, turns against the fire nation that they're necessarily going to just like defeat the fire nation right i think it means like the you... fire nation seems really strong and very warlike like they've been building war machines for a right. century i, I that, that's i think the point is that you don't get to have ang be quite the me against everyone hero that the story winds up playing out as um, yes yes that's you know. true um and yeah so I... and you need this is part two out of three so it's got to end on a down note yada 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 exactly you know i get it but but i do like i do feel like that what we watch is Aang and Katara and Soka, you know, fail in terms of bringing the, the, they convince the king, but they never quite convince the rest of the leadership. And so right. the leadership turns on them and, and, and the people never rise up. And I, I, the part of me that wonders, you know, would the better, would a better way to do that have been, you know, to find some way to, to make the people of Bossing say not as comfortable and to show them that, um, mm. and, and here's, I think the problem that, that protest movements always have though, is that, if, you know, um, Soka and Katara and Aang ran around Ba Sing Se and broke things and, and, you know, stopped all the traffic and did everything they could to make things terrible, they might be saying, we're doing this so you realize that things aren't comfortable for everyone else. But the easiest result is to be like, oh, those people aren't making us comfortable. Let's get rid of those people and everything can go back. Right, right. Life. Yeah, it's like, get out of our way, you meddlesome kids. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like combining the pro the um, anti protesters with uh, Scooby Doo villains there. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> That's a pretty wonderful mixing of metaphors there. Well, Scooby Doo is all about denying what's going on, right? Isn't it? Yeah. All... I have a couple of other big things about the 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 whole plot arc that I want to bring up, but I've been kind of dominating the leading the conversation. For you, what's what's another aspect of this that you want to that you think is important to talk about? Since you brought up like the Earth King and him changing his mind, I think. Um, sort of the fallacious idea that if you just, you know, change the mind of a leader of a movement, everybody behind it will just like follow lockstep all the yeah. time. Or if you, I mean, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. think, oh, well, if you just remove the president, then everything's going to change, right? right? Like, no, everything's not going to change. Some things will change. Um, and yeah. like the Earth King, like, he, you know, he's the king and he can make decrees and stuff, but like... Um, he he changes his mind and then uh, i mean the daily i think get taken over by azula and her her friends and and then they basically just make it a fire nation city you know um but it's you know it's it's 
just by changing whoever's ostensibly in power or removing them, it just doesn't mean that everything's going to change all of a sudden, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, really, it is bringing um, change in the mindset to the masses, to the large number of people. Or, you know, if, if they don't have any power, then maybe towards all the people sort of in power. Like, if you, if you change the minds of all the Dai Li agents, right? Like, then maybe you could actually affect change in, in bossing say, but, yeah. um, but it takes more than just like, Oh, we'll just go to the King and then everything will be okay. It's like, eh, no, not I so mean, easy. One thing that I, that I think about when you talk about the, this fallacious idea that if we just change the leader's minds that everything will be okay. I think of someone like Shepard Smith, you know, Shepard Smith was a Fox mm-hmm. news anchor and he, you know, I, I think to some extent he was never quite as conservative as some of the people on the neighborhood, uh, on the uh, network. But he, over time, really kind of evolved about a lot of things. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, he came out as being gay um, and spoke out about homophobia. But he also spoke out, you know, and, and especially in recent years, he was very critical of Trump. And I remember thinking, like, oh, you know, he's speaking to the Fox News audience. They they, they, they don't believe him. Um, but, you know, that blue pill was strong enough that I think Fox listeners were able to go, like, okay, nope, he changed his mind, so now he's wrong. Right, yeah, yeah. He's a traitor to, like, basically whatever we have been told. Yeah. And for a while, I think he was able to kind of stick around the network to be like, hey, look, no, we're balanced. And then just, you know, kind of shuffled off. And I'm right. and I'm focusing mostly on Fox News. I don't think that, you know, I don't – the network has, I think, a huge amount of problems. I think there are some people there who are trying to tell good stories um, of journalism. But overwhelmingly, I think it has a, a very negative journalistic bent. I don't mean to make it the only example, but I think it's the easiest one for us to talk about. Um, and, and to me, I think what's, what's most important there is it's this idea that once, once that kind of mind of thinking has become strong enough, yeah, it doesn't matter who the leader is, you know, you can, because any person can immediately be tossed aside. Um, it, it reminds me of a story that I've heard. Um, and I, at first I thought this was true. I think at this point that it's apocryphal. Um, but, but whether it actually happened, I think I can believe that it would happen and I believe it's fairly insightful. Um, the story is that sometime in the sixties, um, as a way of kind of like demonstrating, like, you know, the, the problem with all these kind of cults and stuff like that and wanting to do kind of like an experiment on this, that a guy basically started a cult and he wound up getting like, you know, uh, a bunch of followers. I think some were like, you know, five or 600 or maybe more than that. Um, and then after building this up for like five or 10 years, um, you know, never a huge one enough to kind of attract national attention, but you know, a, a, a significant cult. He basically got them all together and and gave a speech and said this was all a lie. This was you know none of this actually happened and um, you know none of this is true. All the the cult stuff that I taught you, I made up all of it. There was never any kind of you know talking sunflower or whatever the heck it was that he based the whole right. cult on. Um, and and the way that the the fable ends is that they decided he was you know wrong and either drove him out or killed him and continued on right. for a, a, a period of time after that. Um, right, right. You know, I, I, I think at this point that the, the idea that actually happened is probably pretty fanciful, but yeah, I could believe it happening. I could, right? Abs- I mean, like, I, I'm a Christian, and I certainly think that that's kind of what happened to Jesus. Um, you know, right. like, yeah, word. It, 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 there's an old story that you know, if, if Jesus came back today, like, you know, most Christians would just call him a, a pinko commie traitor. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it's, I, I, I think it's another good point of that. 
you can't rely just on the leader. And that, that I think in some ways is the biggest mistake Aang and, and, and all that to make is they think if we just convince the king, everything will be okay. But it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's like in, you know, in Return of the Jedi, like to, to get a little Star Wars plug in here. Uh, you, you know, like Vader tosses the Emperor down a hole and like then uh, they blow up the Death Star and then like, everything's fine right and yeah. at the end of the movie it's like yeah everything's fine because you know it's the end of a trilogy and <laughs> i kind of like that ending it feels you know like the like a satisfying conclusion though i want like, the ewoks to sing in my ending god damn it yub nub yub nub for life <laughs> yub nub uh, for life <laughs> um but like you know um at the you know, but then the the post school trilogy, like without the emperor around and without Vader around, basically the empire comes back. And then, oh wait, the emperor. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, they kind of jacked it up. They they there was something there, you know. Um, and I, I I actually don't love the evolution of of the plot. Um, and we don't really know what happens between Return of the Jedi and uh, the Force Awakens. Um, the Mandalorian is maybe telling us some of that story, but like, but you know, the point being like the, the, the head of the emperor, the emperor is gone. He has no successor, right? Yep. Which kind of makes it uh, a little questionable as a, a form of government. I mean, what did he think was going to happen? Oh, he was, his plan was to live forever. That's right. Never mind. Yeah. Um, it's reasonable. I, um, I mean, he was the most mustache twirly of mustache twirly villains of all time. Ever. Um. Ever. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. But the point is, is like the ideals, you know, yeah. such as they were, uh, persisted, right? And that is very realistic. And I think, honestly, one of the things that the Mandalorian gets with – the Mandalorian explains the thing that the, the, the sequels never quite explain, which is that part of the reason why some people miss the Empire and maybe wind up turning towards the First Order – is that Republic isn't really bringing stability and safety and, and comfort, you know, right, that, that things right. are crazy and chaotic. And, yeah. um, uh, I feel like that in some ways, that's the thing that I've never liked about star Wars. That I always think star Wars gets wrong. Is it, it buys so much into the great man of history idea that it's like, you know, if you just, you know, yeah. like in, in, even at the end of the, the rise of Skywalker, um, uh, you know, like the whole rest of the first order is still out there, aren't they? Like that has right, changed. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, you you have to change. I and I, I think it's it. You have to change ideas, you know. And that's yes. to me like if Trump died tomorrow, um, which I am in no way advocating for. I don't want police to come to our door. Um, if you're not <laughs> sure what I'm talking about, listen to an older episode uh, <laughs> where we talk about uh, Lex Luthor uh, being president and Superman killing him and. Uh, yeah. But it is probably just a coincidence. The police knocked on Paul's door in the middle of our recording that episode. Yeah, um, totally, totally. We've been a little careful about that ever since. Um, but, you know, if Trump died tomorrow, like the 40 million people who are, you know, support him are still going to be just as racist and just as desiring for a, you know, let's kill all the liberals kind of idea. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, be careful with words here. I'm not saying that all people who vote for Trump are, you know, that that far off, uh, that that far gone onto like being that explicitly racist. That's not what I'm saying, but that there is a core hardcore group who very much clearly is. Um, And it's those people who, you know, and I think it's around 35, 40 million who just nothing Trump can do will ever make them disapprove of him. Um, And again, 
we found that Pat Robertson isn't isn't even in that right, category. Right. He's not in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's an important message here about you do have to change hearts and minds. You know, if everybody thinks you're the enemy, you have to defeat them, but then you have to do something to convince them you're not the enemy anymore. And I think that's yeah. that's uh, I'll say um, Matthew Carroll, who has been the the uh, the, the podcast host of um, the MCU cast and the Stranded Panda Network that this is all part of. And he and I did an episode that uh, went up last week, if everything has gone as it should be, um, you know, where we talked a lot about the, the Floyd moment. And that's something that he pushes a lot is the idea that you have to not just, you know, fight the evil. You know, you, you, you can't just demonize everybody on the other side. And while he and I disagree on some extent, I think he has helped me better better see that, that I think that I think this show is getting at, you know, that, that if you – if you walk in thinking like all these people in Bossing say are stupid and wrong and we just have to like, you know, take over their leadership, like nothing's going to ever change. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to, to put a, you know, um, I guess a finer point on what you're saying about like, you know, if Trump died tomorrow, Trumpism wouldn't. Right. right? Um, you know, I mean, like fascism in Germany fell when when Hitler, you know, died right right i mean not necessarily well, immediately but 20 million well, yeah 20 million soviet soldiers also helped with that like because that's the thing is i think like right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i think that if like in 1940 uh, yeah hitler died as part of nazism dying but i think if like some sniper had gotten in there and you know shot hitler in 1941 goebbels takes over and does the same right, yeah, thing yeah. you know like yeah yeah i mean but the, my, my point was like that was a military defeat also i mean and it, it wasn't like Hitler died and then the, you know, they surrender. It's like he, he killed himself because they were losing. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but my, my point is, is fascism did not die. Yeah. Fascism yeah. was immediately, I mean, it was still going on in Spain. Right. Yeah. And you had Franco there. Um, and uh, it, I, I would argue, I would argue that, uh, you know, um, America was infected with it. Yeah. I mean, and, and certainly like, you know, in Germany, they did a very concerted effort to try and do uh, reconciliation, you know, and, and to yeah. to move the whole country past that. And <clears throat> it made some great strides. I think as is, we're being seen there, it's not completely stamped out. You know, South Africa, to me, is another place where they really tried to do this, where they really tried to be like how, you know, having Nelson Mandela win an election doesn't change the fact that you know, millions of white people have been raised to think that black people are, are animals and can't ever be trusted right. with political power. Um, and so they had, like, they had to change the culture. Um, yeah. And I think season three actually does a um, – I never actually kind of made this connection before. And, and it, I, I probably say this on every episode of Superhero Ethics at this point is that I don't know whether the writers are actually quite as brilliant as I think about it or I'm just drawing connections that they never intended. <laughs> um, but Avatar is so good and so subtle that I think this was intentional. Um, yeah. they spend so much of season three getting to know Fire Nation people and getting to understand mm -hmm. Fire Nation people and getting to humanize Fire Nation people um, in, in one major plot point through, um, you know, the, redemp the redemption in a very long drawn out arc of a particular character, but also just, you know, um, the numerous times they go to a Fire Nation village and think of them as the enemy and come to realize, like, Maybe these people are against the Fire Lord, you know, or maybe even they're for the Fire Lord, but they're still decent people um, and, and that they could be reached in that way. Yeah, well, so I think this is an area where you're not headcanoning anything. I think it is very explicitly in the show and I think it is very deliberate. And um, I think they were 
setting it up from the beginning um, where, you know, they, I mean, even in season one, there's a, um, a firebender who left the fire nation, right. Who, um, who starts to teach Aang firebending doesn't go so hot, but, um, no, eh, (laughs) Hotman, Hotman. Um, yeah, but you know, the, the arc of, this one care are we going to talk about him or are we not going to talk about him yeah, we, 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 again we're about to spoil something pretty big um but yeah the character we're talking about is uh zuko um yeah fire nation I, prince zuko i will also say i came very close to doing it just now because i am a big grease fan i will always think of him as danny zuko um and so i have to keep reminding myself <laughs> i was about to say i was literally about to say like is danny zuko it's like, no no he's not danny zuko he is yeah. prince zuko yeah um, prince zuko um, um, and, and I think his, his, his arc in a way is to me what, um, kind of makes the series work at the end. Yes. You know, it's, and, and it is kind of what we're talking about is that, I mean, sure. Like, you know, Aang can defeat the fire Lord and then the fire nation's army can be defeated, but it's like, well then, then what? Right. Like are you just going to occupy this nation? Like, are you going to, like, what are you going to do? And Zuko's personal journey from, you know, the beginning being just like, I must regain my honor. I must capture the avatar to, you know, being fire nation, you know, Lord of the fire nation, basically fire Lord uh, Zuko. Um, You know, he, he's able to go on this whole journey himself and he can lead, the fire nation as a member of the fire nation who's gone on this personal journey and he can try and take, you know, the nation itself, the culture itself on this journey, kind of really more back to its roots right. before it became this imperialist power because it's it, for hundreds of years, for however long before that um, it, you know, it existed peacefully with, with the other you know nations. Right. And I think there always was like, an aspect to which the the Fire Nation was a little bit more um, volatile and a little bit more um, militaristic, perhaps. Yeah, because that's the nature of fire. But that the idea is that that was in balance with everything else, that it wasn't the Fire Nation itself is evil. Um, Yeah, and early on, we just see their military. That's all we see for, like, the first two seasons, except for maybe a character here or a character there, is just the military of the Fire Nation. So, like, we get this picture of them that is their that they are their military and then in season three they take us into the fire nation it's like oh you know there is no war in the fire nation (laughs) like yeah like you know i mean it's different it's different there i I, there's people yeah there's always people i i think about this in particular because i i have a friend who um we chat online from time to time um and and she lives in texas and she's she's um you know moderate on some issues pretty liberal on some others but but certainly not like when you think of like you know, the stereotype that a lot of leftists have that I think I certainly had for a while um, and still do to some extent, but she's really helped turn me around on it of, you know, like, oh, a Texan. So like, you know, super racists, you know, super uh, white, you know, very much a Trump supporter, et cetera. And and she's really you know, kind of helped remind me of like, you know, that 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 might be the Texas government and that might be yeah. the majority of people whose votes are counted in Texas elections. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it doesn't. It is not all people in Texas by any means, and it's certainly not the majority of Texas. You know, it might not be the majority of people in Texas, um, given yeah. all the, the crazy ways that elections are counted these days in America and, and who votes in America. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that that lesson of like 
the humanizing of, of the people behind the curtain becomes super important. Um, this isn't quite connected to that, but I but I just need to kind of say it just on the, the Danny Zuko. Not Danny Zuko. Fuck, I just did oh, it. Geez. The Zuko redemption arc. So much of his struggle is about what it means to find his honor and him eventually kind of letting go of that idea. Um, and I just think that's funny because I'm, uh, for my other podcast, currently doing a rewatch of the TV show The Clone Wars, uh, which has a lot of great points. And Paul and I just did a rewatch of the last season, which is very good, I think. Uh, the Clone Wars, I mean, the, the shows, I, I hope our podcast is good, too. But I'm not being quite that arrogant. Yeah, yeah um, it's all, all of it's very good. <laughs> um, and and I, think, I think all the Clone Wars TV show is pretty good and has some very high points and some low points. Um, and one of them was there's an episode. They always start with this, uh, like a what seems supposed to be like kind of an inspirational quote as um, uh, Riki, right. Hay- Riki Hayashi, one of my co-hosts on the other one, pointed out that often they can't be told that di- you can't tell the difference between them and fortune cookie slogans. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a collection of aphorisms. Yeah. And so one of the slogans of the episode I was watching today is it's the quest for honor that makes someone honorable. And I was just kind of like, um, my friend Zuko <laughs> might have some words to say to you about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, so much of funny. his story is like his quest for honor is what makes him dishonorable. Um, right. I mean, it's almost more like the rejection of the quest for honor is what brings exactly. honor. You know, I mean. Yeah, it, it's that whole thing of like, if you sit out in the world being like, I am going to be a good person, you're almost definitely not. Um, you know, like you can try, but often it's that like, when you're so f- focused on like, I want to be a good person, yeah. I, that's too strong. I, I think it's possible, but I think it's very easy for it then to become about, is it that you want to be a good person or is it that you want to feel like you're a good person or is it that you want other people to think you're a good person? Because it's right. easy to mix up the the second two for that first one, and the second yeah. two can lead you to some pretty bad places, um, and just well, to bounce well, around I mean, for like, all the yeah, but just to bounce around for all the fandoms we're mentioning. If you don't quite understand this, uh, listen to the song "I'm a Good Person, a Real Good Person" from Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Because wow, is it a good illustration of this? <laughs> and then you will live long and prosper. Exactly. Um, exactly. So. Just because you, you know you said you were going to get all the all the fandoms, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> the, you know the trouble comes in. So like the idea of honor, right? That you know, it's like on one level the idea is supposedly that you know you do honorable things and you are honorable, and and that um, you do honorable things not because they bring you benefit. Um, but because they're just like, it's like following your code kind of, I think. Right. Um, but like the whole idea of honor, it's like, well, there's an extent to which it's like, like reputation, right. Where it's like essentially doing something for honor is doing it for your reputation. Whereas, you know, if you were to look at it another way, it would be, you know, um, the so so the you know the struggle for honor or something is essentially the struggle for protecting your reputation or redeeming your reputation right but you know if you looked at it more um sort of introspectively as like you know the the struggle for honor is is basically um to do what like there's like almost the opposite thing can be regarded as honor which is like to do what is right regardless of what the rewards are. Right. right? And like, 
there's a great saying. I don't remember the exact wording, but yeah, to will, will you do the right thing when no one is watching? Exactly, exactly, and that's like the honorable thing, essentially, right? right? Like, and and so th- those things are almost kind of at cross purposes. Um, I, I I will say just to um, on the subject of honor, it actually isn't, uh, but it kind of is. Um, my my dad was born in Texas, and hmm. um, he was extremely liberal. Um, his parents were extremely liberal. Um, and, you know, and, and both of their kids were, um, well, one of their kids still is, um, and, you know, like being born in Texas or living in Texas a long time, um, you know, it's like, that just wasn't all the people there, right? Like during, during the civil war, like Texas joined the Confederacy, but like not all Texans were like, yeah, let's do that. Right. It's like, we see these states painted red and blue on a map and it's really easy to go oh that's a fire nation state oh that's a waterbender state right you know um if you just only think in avatar terms but like that's not how it works like there's a third of california voted for trump right like a third of Georgia voted for maybe it was more voted for Clinton. You know, it's like yeah. a, a large amount of a Texas. Majority like of, every a majority st- of Georgia voted for Stacey Abrams. Um, yeah, yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's probably a lot more than a third that that voted. You know, that voted for Clinton. The the point being that like in every area, there's people who think one thing and people who think another thing, and you can't just say, oh, that person is from that area. They probably think that you can say, yeah, they probably think this. Right. And like from a statistical standpoint. That's a fair statement to, you know, but you can't say they probably th- think this, therefore I will assume it. You should never assume that things are probable are true, right. simply that they are more likely to be true. Well, and I think it also gets, because I think the danger, I feel like we're kind of like walking a narrow path between a couple of different extremes. Because to some extent, I think we're backing away a little bit by from, you know, what, what some of the left I think sometimes goes to of just, you know, like all these people are terrible and awful. But I also think that it's easy to therefore go to you know, everyone is good at heart. We just have different perspectives and mm. we all just need to sit down yeah, and talk no. to each other. And I'm, no. I'm not able to go quite that far because I do, but it, but it's more, I think that there's able to be different degrees, you know, that like I am, of course I'm frustrated with a person who has never read anything except the things that are lying to them. But I'm a lot more right. frustrated with the person who's actually lying to them. You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I, and I think it's okay to have degrees like that and to say like, I am, there's a um there's a, a thing that went around today that I thought was was powerful but I also wanted to push back on which was saying um you know if you have 12 bad cops and 1300 cops who are silent you have 1312 bad cops and on the one hand I really like that idea because I do think that there's something to say of like you can't cl- you can't be part of an organization and say oh it's not our fault there are just some bad apples but that doesn't make all of us bad if you're not actively speaking out against those bad apples. Um, and especially when in, in the case of the police department, so often it's the people who aren't the, the truly bad ones are, are helping and protecting the ones who really are. Um, so, but, but I also, so I seem like, yeah, you know, if you've got 1300 silent cops, you know, being silent in the face of those 12, 12 uh, really bad cops, you do have 1312, you know, cops who I have trouble saying like, these are good people. But that's still you have thirteen hundred and twelve cops who are not doing the right thing, right? In this case, but that still means that twelve of those cops are significantly worse than the other thirteen hundred. You know, and I just, yeah. I feel like we need to have that degree of 
and and as well as the understanding of like to some extent outside of those 12 it's not that i need to say that every 13 every member of that 1300 is bad it's that the organization that those 1312 all belong to is fundamentally bad and right so i have some judgment on the person who stays in that organization but i also have to understand like some of the people who stay in that organization do so because they think there's no racism in bossing say you know they have yeah. and i I, I liked what you said at the very beginning about willful ignorance, and I kind of feel like if you're on the police department and you're able to kind of like, you know, I I don't think it is possible. When I keep saying, like, I have sympathy for the people who've never been exposed to the idea that there is war outside Ba Sing Se, yeah. I don't think you – I think if you have watched that video, you have lost the ability to claim that, you know, everything is fine. Um, I think yeah. that, that <clears throat> once we get to a point where there – and so that my – the degree to which I am tolerant of things or, or, or not in terms of willful ignorance becomes a lot harder. Um, yeah. I, I want to, though, then to, uh, tie this back to the Bossing Say conversation. We've already kind of done so, but I want to actually pick up. I want to kind of go back to something we were saying about Zuko that we thought was a tangent and actually say why I think it really ties in well to this. And it very much ties mm-hmm. in, I think, to, to America and the cops, which is the idea of honor. Um, because I think one of the things I was struck by as I was rewatching it is. That within Bossing Say, one of the things that they actually <clears throat> talk about is the honor of the Earth Kingdom and the glory of the Earth Kingdom, and that the Earth Kingdom is wonderful, and that part of what they 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 say that they don't want to mention the war here. What's never mentioned, but I think is the very strong subtext, is we don't want to mention that we're losing. You know, right. Bossing oh, Say, yeah. Bossing Say yeah. is a is a great place to say like here we can hold on to the, the glo- and, and I think it's a question of honor. I think it's that idea of, you know, we are proud to be Earth Kingdom people. And it's hard to do that when the Fire Kingdom has been kicking your butt for the last hundred years. Um, right. I mean, especially because they're like Earth, right? Stubborn, like right. firm, right? Stand, standing their ground, basically. Yeah. And like they've been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And, and I think that's, you know, like, I mean... What was Trump's literal campaign slogan? Make America great again, you know? And and to me, I mean, I think that it's all about restoring America's honor and restoring the idea that America is still a great country. And a big part of that has been, oh, the Europeans don't think we're great? Well, screw them. We should never have listened to them at the beginning. You know, the World Health Organization is critical of what we do. Let's leave the World Health Organization. Let's leave the UN. Right. Um, and I think it's that same idea. And And even when it comes to cops, you know, I can understand that when you're 18 years old and you've always believed that cops are these, you know, brave men in blue who protect you. And that's a a very honorable position. Um, You know, New York City, they're called, you know, New York's finest. Um, I think you can believe that there's an awful lot of honor in being a cop. And to then learn that you've given your life and you, you have risked your life for a profession that you think is honorable and now a whole bunch of people are saying the profession is racist, the profession is wrong, the profession maybe isn't needed, or you know that that you're a terrible person for being a part of that profession. Uh, which I'm I'm not. I think there's a lot of truth in a lot of those statements. But I can also understand why a person goes like, shit, no, I need I, I'm a cop. cop being a cop is honorable. You have you can't forget that. And that's where a lot of the you know blue lives matter nonsense comes from. And the yeah. you know the, as I said, even Pat Robertson going this far, you know the. It's gone from leftist, you know, uh, blogs to the New York Times and the Baltimore Sun and, and the National Review. Or sorry, the, the Business Insider, which is hardly a conservative publication, 
you know, saying, listen, it's been the cops that have been driving this violence. And I think, yeah, I, I think part of it is because it's that idea of, you know, they're, they're, they want to believe there's no racism in Bossing Zay. There's no racism in the police department. And when now that's challenged, they, they're fighting back pretty hard. Yeah. Some, you know, and that's the thing is that, again, it's important to look at, you know, a group as not a, a monolith. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there are, I mean, you know, the question is like, what do you do when that's what your department is basically saying to do? You know, how many, how many of these, um, attacks by police on, you know, now like on, um, peaceful protesters, on, on journalists, how, how many of them are policy and how many of them are, um, like instinct, yeah. right? How many of them are, are a hothead, like inciting something or, or, or in, in flaming something. And how many of them are, you know, a police chief or captain or whatever saying, we're going to go out there and, and we're going to, you know, crack some skulls or right. whatever. Um, and I don't know, you know, yeah. I, no one does. Right. But there are other places where a police chief or a police captain has said, we are going to, you know, put, put down our riot gear and we're going to march with you. You know, the, here in Santa Rosa, the police chief was like, I'm going to take a knee with the protesters. And then, you know, and then they have a curfew and they're going to enforce the curfew. And I don't know exactly how that's gone. Yeah. And the, there have definitely know. been some places where the cops made nice gestures and then were tear gassing people an hour later. Um, that too, but that's not, that but you're too. right. That doesn't, but that doesn't mean that's always the way it's yeah. gone. Like, and, but the, the point is, is it's like, if, yeah, it's like, it seems like you can't, like, without speaking out against it, you're complicit, right? Especially if you're in the profession, and especially if you're on on that particular force. Um, you know, there have been cops who've spoken out, and then they get fired. Mm -hmm. And, like, maybe that's the thing you're supposed to do, yeah. right? Maybe you're supposed to resign. Um, and, I don't... And, I don't. And here I'll say, my, like, I... I do think that not enough cops are trying to do the good thing, and that's part of why I'm – and I – you know, I look at – um, you know, the president of the uh, Minneapolis Police Union has been very protective of um, – uh, uh, I just saw his name a second ago – has been very protective of uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, the man who murdered George Floyd. Um, yeah, which is insane. And, um, you know, and, and the thing is he's elected, and he has – like, this isn't a first thing for him. He has been saying for – like – he uh, he said yeah. some time ago that he thinks of policing like basketball and like a good basketball player should get called for some fouls, um, you know, cause it means that they're right. doing their best. And so he's basically saying, like, yeah. it's OK if you get called for some brutality charges. That's a man who's chosen by the Minneapolis Police Department to represent them. Um, right. And so right. And, elected by the officers. Yeah, right. I, I think he's elected. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. But he's certainly supposed to be their spokesperson. Right. Does that mean that every single person who um, every single cop? You know, well, certainly it doesn't mean that every single person who voted for him maybe knew all of that. And probably a lot of people didn't vote for him. So, again, it's that like, yeah, each individual you got you got to see differently. Um, I, I and I, you said earlier also um, we're jumping all over the place because this is all all this is so connected. And again, it's what makes Avatar such a good show, how it ties into all this. Um, but one of the you were making the point of like when a cop does something terrible are they acting on instinct or are, is that how they were trained? Um, and I think most of the time, or following direct orders, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, I think 
I think sometimes they are following direct orders, and I, I would like to see more cops, you know, standing up and saying, like, no, I'm not going to tear gas those people. Um, I think certainly yeah. the orders to tear gas are direct orders. Um, but I also think that there's a combination of the two, which is where how do your instincts work when you've been trained, you know, if you see movement there, you know, it's the enemy fire, you know, or like you haven't been, right. you've been trained in ways. Um, there's been a lot of evidence that like a lot of the way cops are trained is to see like a dark, you know, a dark skinned person as more of a threat. Um, and that's often just the bias that's inherent and, and how that all happens. It, it, it certainly all ties together. Where it all comes down, though, for me is I am a person who wants the people of Bossing Say to do more, especially when I feel like they don't have the ability to be that ignorant. And I want more cops to stand up. But I also think that I don't always know what a cop fighting for justice is going to look like because I'm not inside there. Um, and here I'm going to draw a comparison that I think people on both the right and the left might yell at me for. But I think it somewhat fits. Um I have often said that, like, you know, it is very easy if you don't have a boot on your throat to be critical of how the person who does have a boot on their throat is is trying to get the boot off their throat, you know? But, like, the boot isn't on my throat. And so it, it's part of how I feel about the violent protests is I sort of feel like I don't experience the rage and the terror of having lived under the threat of police violence my entire life and seeing it happen and seeing the rest of the country go oh, that's terrible, hashtag Black Lives Matter, and move on. And so, like, <clears throat> I don't have that boot on my throat. And I might have thoughts about strategy, and I actually have been coming around to the idea that actually, like, there's a, a lot of strategy in ri riots. And, uh, um, you know, we're celebrating Pride Month. Pride started because of a riot. Um, but even putting that aside, it's that feeling of, like, I don't feel like it's my place to judge how someone responds to a situation that I'm not in. That's not entirely fair. I can judge it, but like when they're dealing with a fear that I don't have and in the same way, I don't want to excuse all cops. I don't want to say that like, you know, all 1300 of those are good cops. They're just staying silent. Like if you're staying silent, you're not as good a cop as you think you are. But I do want to say like, I don't know what it's like to be within a group that thinks of itself as a brotherhood all of whom are armed, all of whom are willing to use violence to do what they think is, is important to, you know, protect and decide to go against them. Um, because I know that there yeah. has been horrible violence done to cops who spoke out and stuff like that. And like, yeah. to me, that doesn't in any way excuse the silence of cops, but I do just want to say like in, and I may be saying this because I hope both sides that, that I'm, I'm also saying like, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're more on the side of like, you know, blue lives matter. Well, I, I can understand that. I'm very glad you're listening, but I can understand that maybe that there's difficulties in speaking out as a cop that I don't understand. And that I hope that, that, that someone who understands that can also then say that maybe there's difficulties in having that boot on your throat that you don't understand. And that, that maybe that can help you not be so quick to say like, Oh, they're fighting for justice in the wrong way. I mean, I think everyone's well served to whenever, whenever anybody does anything to, um, or or takes a position to listen, yeah, and to accept the fact that none of us have the same experience exactly as any other one of us, right? Right. Um, I mean, this uh, it's a little bit of like a Clone Wars um, sort of thing, where I mean, there's a a lot of people have similar experiences in particular ways. Right. Yeah. And you can say, well, I haven't had that 
sort of experience. Um, and so I need to listen to what they're saying about that experience. And that doesn't mean that you have to, that then you have to like co-sign every action they take. Yeah. Right. Um, but if you take the time to listen to what someone says about their experience, you'll have a greater understanding and you can have empathy for them and sort of understand why they're taking the actions they're taking. And if those are actions you oppose, then you're going to have a better chance of trying to somehow find a way to get them to take different actions. Um, and, or, or you're just going to say, okay, look, you know, that's not the way I'd go about it, but you know, I support what you're trying to do. And even if you're not doing it exactly the way I would like you to do, you know, maybe I'll throw a suggestion out there when the time feels right. But overall, like, I support what you're trying to do, mm -hmm. you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean always signing on for everything someone's doing, you know, but I mean, it's, it's harder in the case of, you know, of cops where it's like, I think, I think most people believe that police are necessary. Um, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> strictly believe that. Um, I, I would call myself an, an anarchist in a lot of ways, not in wanting to overthrow a government, but just thinking that's not necessarily the only way we can live right. is this way. But, um, you know, there are things that cops are supposed to be doing that most people support, right? Um, and then there are things that cops are doing that most people oppose, um, like, you know, murdering people, because mm -hmm. that's one of the things they're supposed to be stopping right. that most people want them to stop. And the, the, it just becomes, I don't know, it's, it's just very difficult to look at an institution and say, you know, can that change happen from the inside? Like in an ideal world, right, or in an ideal police department, if there is such a thing. There would be X, you know, X number of people who probably weren't, shouldn't have been cops in the first place. And then there'd be a lot of people who are in it for all the right reasons. And then they'd see those people doing the things that were not what they're supposed to be doing that are either, either doing horrible things or just doing things that are kind of like out of line and being like, hmm, you know, like when... When somebody responds with too much violence that doesn't that doesn't end in murder, that's probably a good time to be like, you know what, let's 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 try someone else. Yeah. You know, maybe you're not right for this. And ideally, you know, that institution would be run mostly by people who are um, trying to do the right thing and have a temperament suited to that. Right. And then they would sort of police themselves and actually expunge the the worst, right? But that's probably not going to happen, at least in most places. And, you know, so then the question is, well, how do you do it from the outside? Right. Um, and, and I do think, like, I mean— Deciding how to reform the police department is a, a little bit outside of the purview of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I was about to say. Yeah, and I, but I, <laughs> I, I do hear what you're saying, and I think that um, you know, I'll say one thing just on what you were just saying, and then get back to the main topic. I'm, I'm, I'm more on the side of that we need some kind of police force um, than, than I think you are. 
Um, sure, sure. I think, yeah. though, that, that... That's like 99 point yeah. almost everybody else. Um, yeah. um, I think that there's a lot that we can do, though, to um, do major reforms in how it's done and major reforms in how cops are trained. I mean, just as a basic, like, you know, 30 seconds of Googling this guy showed Facebook pictures that were public of him, you know, wearing racist paraphernalia. How about right, just as yeah. a basic, like, like, you don't yeah. work for... Anyway... But but what I will say, yeah, you're done. Yeah, like that's it. Like t- right. T- I mean, tying it back to this, I think that part of what this gets into, and I feel like this is such a big part of our politics in general, not just the cop issue, but certainly the cops as well. To me, everything in Bossing say is about defensiveness. You know, it's about like mm. not wanting to acknowledge that things aren't as good as they are. It's about not right. wanting to admit that we've made mistakes. It's about not wanting to be able to say like, you know, and that that. You know, I again, it's kind of like how I really want to actually read all of the Sokovia courts. Um, I would love to see, like, <laughs> I would love to see, like, you know, the history of Bossing Say, you know, and like what got them to this point? Because it's, you know, hard to think it was, just, you know, was it just gradual? Or did it happen overnight? Or was it like, you know, what? And I imagine a lot of that starts with after um, a major defeat. Um, or maybe right. even the flip side, actually, because a major part of the war is that the one major defeat the Fire Kingdom has had was outside the walls of Bossing Say, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, um, when when uh, uh, Iroh, uh, before he really kind of had his change of heart, was defeated. Um, or actually, he wasn't actually even I, yeah, fully defeated. Yeah, I don't defeated. think it was 10 or 20. I think it was... Right. You think it was... Well, because it was during Zuko's lifetime, right? Okay, because, yeah. So, so, so it was like... Five to ten years, basically. Right. But basically, I mean, there was a siege for 600 days. And, and it was clearly... Right. Um, and so part of it makes you wonder is, is that when it changed? You know, is that they sort of held on to mm. that moment of glory and said, like, yeah. we defeated the Fire Nation, so the war is over. Um, right, which, right. to me, is kind of... And then we brainwashed everybody so they didn't know what happened. Or did people well, even know what was going on? Like, were there fireballs sailing yeah. over the city? <laughs> well, and we don't know this. I, I kind of like that version of it because what it speaks to me of is... We elected Obama, so racism was over. You know, we right. we we, we, yeah. we we did this or we did that, and so these other issues are over. So, yeah, yeah. mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it just it all just speaks to me about like, and, and I'll admit I am someone who, uh, I, I imagine both you and Jacob, if he ever listens to this, and a couple other people who try to get me to watch Avatar are kind of grinning a little bit as they listen to me talk about <laughs> what a good show this is because for a while I didn't want to watch it. Um, I am someone who. <clears throat> generally has real trouble with animated television. Um, although I, that has changed, I think in part because of my watching of the show, um, a couple episodes ago, I, uh, uh, welcome. Did, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is I think you and Jacob really pushed me on it. No, and a couple episodes ago, I did a review of Shira, which is in a lot of ways, I think is very much kind of like avatar as, as written by queer people. Um, cause mm-hmm. it's a very similar story. There's a lot of similar dynamics and it's just, it has a lot of the same, it has some of the same kids show cheesiness that I don't like about Avatar either. But even so, I think they're probably at this point both in my top ten of television shows. Um, wow. And, and I think for me with Avatar, it's because of things like – I think if there's two things that, that Avatar most solidifies for me with that. It's the the way the Bossing Say story is treated and the way that, that – I 
keep wanting to say Danny. The way Zuko. that Prince Zuko is treated. Um, you know, maybe do we ever actually hear what his first name is? Maybe maybe he's Zuko Danny. You know, maybe maybe there's a D- That's his name. Yeah. <laughs> That's his whole name. Zuko? His name is Zuko. If he doesn't have a last name. Aang doesn't have a last name. Katara doesn't have a last name. Yeah, I guess that's fair. He's Zuko, Prince of the Fire Nation. <laughs> that's fair. Son of uh, Ozai. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it does seem like it's a very, you know, like the entire world is yeah. made up of maybe 5,000 people, so it's possible that no one has last right. names. Right. Grandson or, or great-grandson of uh, Roku? Yeah. yeah. Or great-grandson of Roku? Great-grandson of both uh, Roku and Shinzon. And Sozin. Sozin, right? I thought Shin... Yeah, it might, it might be Shozin. Um, and- Did you say Shinjo, <laughs> the, the outfielder for the Mets? And the- no. Look, I, <laughs> Their answer to Ichiro, I, which was a very poor answer to Ichiro. I, I already got... Uh, Yelled at on uh, uh, or, or badly commented on my uh, uh, super, my Star Wars podcast for not uh, pronouncing things right, so I'm just going to ignore that one for saying Yawin instead of Yawin. Okay, okay, it's Yavin, it's Yavin. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, it's not Magneto bad. You know? uh... <laughs> I don't think I ever said that, did I? No, no, it was a guest. It was a guest. Okay, an excellent guest, but he kept saying Magneto, and it really bothered me. Oh, uh, I, I think. But then I think sometimes when it's not like an animation, I'm like, oh, I don't even know how that person yeah. is pronounced. <laughs> I, I, that's how you know someone read the comics. Yeah, I did say uh, uh, Palpatine a couple of times. Oh, <laughs> just yeah, no, I believe that. But yeah, it, it all just goes to show why I think why this show is so good and so insightful. Because I think um, honestly, I kind of just want like everybody who's thinking about these issues to sit down and watch watch the, the this this set of episodes because um it just has so much to say about like the dynamics we can get into on all sides both of like why this is so scary and why this is so terrifying but also why it's hard to therefore say that you know every person who lives in bossing say is is terrible um right because it, it goes in so many different directions yeah and i mean one person in bossing say changing their actions would just result in a in a visit to Lake Laogai, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it has to be a mass change in Bossing Say, um, and you know, I I think you know it the the whole Bossing Say there is no war in Bossing Say is, um, it's all about denial, yeah, right? It's about basically reaffirmation of prior greatness and denial of what's going on in the real world. And I feel that's like, that's some of the, you know, the moment we're living through is like, I mean, make the earth kingdom great again. Exactly. And I mean, there's just, there's so much, there's just so much denial and, but it's like, there, there is war in bossing say, yeah, like it's, it's here. And it's, you know, the struggle is real and you, you know, I guess people can still, you know, I think about it and I'm like, I guess I could probably just go on, you know, business as usual Mm -hmm. and like ignore what's going on in the world. And that's like often like my deepest wish to be able to do that. Like, honestly, um, and Mm -hmm. not even just like with what's going on now at all, like just speaking in a larger sense, um, like, I really wish just everything was, was good. And like, I could just focus on, you know, writing stories or, or whatever, but it's, it's not. And I mean, I personally, I, I harbor concerns that, um, you know, what's going on now is just the very beginning of something bigger. Um, and something, yeah. I don't really want to say worse, but like, I mean, 
probably worse, but like more broader and that people aren't really going to be able to just ignore it. And, you know, the fact, you know, if people can't ignore it, like maybe that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what this moment has done is it has brought the war to a lot more bossing says. Like, not to keep hitting the metaphor, exactly. but I think that's, you know, that's what, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. part of that is the intentional action of the protesters, and I think that's a very good thing. But part of it's also because, you know, you can't watch that video without having the wall around you crack a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. And in some ways, I think that was one of the most interesting things was how many people, you know, but it's that sort of like, you know, the thing about bossing says is that they have many walls. And so you can watch that video and the wall yeah, of no cops are racist can crack. But now you can go to the wall of yeah. it's just a few bad apples, you know, or it's just, you know, bad. Tra- like it's always exactly. there's always. And I think yeah. that's that's the other thing is I think like it's easy for those of us who are really pushing for that kind of change to think, OK, once we break down that wall, everything's OK. Um, and that's why Ang lost. Yeah. It's just not that simple. Yeah, you're right. It's not that simple. And that that's actually a pretty good way to, to end this because I think you and I can talk about this till the end of time. But frankly, I think other people have other opinions. And because it's not that simple, and I feel like I was saying actually on the podcast last week that I love media that asks questions and doesn't necessarily give answers. And, you know, I think you and I and, and every person who's on this podcast often has some pretty good answers we want to propose. But I don't think we have it all figured out. It's not that simple. And so... Listeners, I'd love to hear from you all. What do you think about all this? Um, please write in. Please, um, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Superhero Ethics. You can email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. Um, you can find both me and Paul on, on various social media. All those links will be in the show notes. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, this is such an important topic, and I think kind of for two ways. A, because um, we're talking about uh, what I hope that by the time that, um, you know, I, I as I, I read I read while we were um, uh, podcasting this that um, the the charges against the uh, uh, Devin have been upgraded to second degree murder, and that the other three officers have all been arrested. So that that gives me a little bit more hope that by the time you're listening to this, maybe things will have diffused a little bit and some some progress will have been made. Um, but but either way, you know these issues are never going to go away, and and Avatar certainly is one we're talking about a lot. So. Whether you want to talk about either side of that, um, please write in. Let us know your thoughts. I'd love to keep the conversation going. There's great ways to do that on Facebook and Twitter and places like that. Um, so please also check out some of the other great podcasts we have on the Stranded Panda Network. Um, you can hear, as I said, Matt Carroll and Jeff Randall um, on my last episode. They do a number of other things, including the MCU cast, um, Dinger's Assemble. Jeff is one of my co-hosts on the Star Wars Universe podcast, which Paul has also been on. Basically, we're just a whole big incestuous people who go on each other's podcasts because we don't have anything better to do because we're all locked down under quarantine. Um, uh, although I have a full-time job, in theory. Um, but so, yeah, please please check all those out. Um, you know, I've actually been trying to convince my boss to listen to this, so I'm going to cut out that joke about the full-time job. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of all a big, you know, network of us all helping each other out because during quarantine, you know, a lot of us have a lot more free time. Um, some of us still have jobs, like myself, but we still have, have the time to do this, and I'm sure you're in the same place. So let us know what you think. Please check out some of those other podcasts. Uh, Thank you, Paul, for being a part of this. And uh, have a good day.